100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk anything like that so if you head over to airbnb and search elk cross and getaway in the pa wilds you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here then we'll get you 10 percent off of your first day are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level then you're in the right place welcome to east meets west hunt with your host bo martonic 
Hey everyone, happy Tuesday. Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Alabama Big Woods hunter Shane Parker. Shane has an extremely detailed and analytical approach to hunting whitetails around thermal hubs in the mountains of Alabama. You've probably heard of thermal hubs before. They seem to be a buzzword here in the last few years, but I can promise you this is one of the most detailed breakdowns that you will find on this topic. So we discuss how Shane uses weather stations, thermal hub characteristics, fallout points, waiting until the thermal switch, scouting these hubs, and much more. And like the podcast a few weeks ago with Paul Butera, this one I also split up in the two parts because a lot of information, a lot of stuff being thrown at you, give you some time to digest it. So they're split into about an hour a piece here. Uh, so this is part one of two. So you want to check back next week for the second part of that. And on this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming from Billy Fur out of Pennsylvania. And Billy wrote in, I shot this buck on November 12th back in 2020 around 2.30 p.m. My buddy and I had quite a bit of history with this buck and a lot of hunters knew about him. 2020 was the first year I started hunting out of a saddle and really tried to focus on being mobile. We had a permanent stand set up in a location. We were getting daylight trail cam photos of this buck the last three years prior to me shooting him. The dates were around November 10th to the 15th when he was showing up in this area during daylight. After a few sits in this permanent stand, my buddy and I had several encounters with different bucks using a trail that was out of bow range, about 75 yards away from our permanent stand. Since I had the saddle, I told my buddy the next time we had a north wind, I was going to make a move closer to that trail we previously encountered these bucks. A north wind was ideal for access and setting up on this trail. On November 12th, we got a north wind and some colder temps. I made a move with my saddle closer to this trail. This is honestly only my second time hunting out of a saddle, so it was slow going and a little clumsy getting in a tree. Within 10 minutes, I turned to my left and saw this buck closing the distance, walking right down the trail I set up on at about 30 yards. I had just enough time to reach for my bow, come to full draw, and stop the buck at 25 yards for a shot. I ended up making a good hit, and the deer went down within about 80 yards. I sent his teeth out for aging, and it was determined he was 8.5 years old when I harvested him. Being mobile and adapting to deer movement was the key to this hunt and was a big lesson learned for me and my buddy. Needless to say, my buddy bought a saddle the following year and we both have adapted to mobile hunting. Well, Billy, that's an incredible story. And I think uh, anyone that's listening, I probably don't have to tell you that you want to look at these photos when you hear eight and a half year old deer. But this thing is a freaking hoss, just wide, heavy, all the way out through his beams, uh, just a just giant Pennsylvania mountain buck. And if you want to check out those photos, East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. And feel free to send in your story uh, via email to bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com. And uh, I'd love to be able to share it on a, on a future episode here. But going back to it, I just want to just make a couple points here on this. So 2020, if you remember, was an extremely hot year, kind of similar to the way 2022 was as far as during the rut. And then we had that cold front come in 
around that time frame, that November 12th time frame. And at least in my family, that was a hot day for, for killing bucks as well. So took advantage of that weather, uh, being mobile, moving in there. I mean, that's the reason why I moved to uh, using a saddle almost exclusively uh, since 2019 or 2018, 2019, something like that. But uh, it's it's helped me out a ton as far as uh, being able to make these moves and looks like the same for Billy. All right. And uh, last thing I'll mention before we go into this, I'm announcing the Prime Bow giveaway winner. Uh, and uh, you'd probably receive this through email already. But uh, if you didn't, uh, hopefully if you're listening, then you know that it's you. But uh, all I have is an email address here. So the winner came from the the email list from all the entries that came in. So the email address, I don't even have the person's name yet, but it's knale87 at gmail.com. So knale87 at gmail.com is the the winner of the Prime RevX 2 bow. Super excited about it. So reach out to me, send me an email, bowdeastmeetswesthunt.com, and I'll get you set up so you can get your bow ordered and have her shooting and get ready for hunting season. So congratulations and thanks to everyone that entered in. Be sure to sign up for that email newsletter on my website, so eastmeetswesthunt.com. Go down, it should be a pop-up that comes up, but if not, go to the bottom of the page where it says enter the email newsletter and submit your email there because uh, we gonna be doing a lot more giveaways in the future. And that's where you find out first about everything, the scouting camps I put on, all those things. Email is the, the first place that I, that I notify people there. So you have first chance to get in on some of this stuff. So congratulations. And thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. If you like it, as always, give it a rating and a review and even more so share it with a friend, family member, someone you think it would be helpful. Word of mouth spreading of the, this message is, is by far the, the most effective way and helps out a ton. So thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you next week. All right, Shane Parker, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to, glad to get to have you on here. Yes, sir. I'm glad to be here. Hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. We were just talking before here, and I, I kind of had to stop you partway through as we were talking. I was like, "Hey, we we should start recording while we're uh, <laughs> while we're talking about this kind of stuff." You know, it's it's always good, to, like. Um, uh, for me to get to like, cause I, I'd never met you before other than messaging a few messages back and forth, but, to to talk ahead of time, but this is what typically happens is we start getting in a good conversation and talking deer hunting. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, let's just, uh, let's kind of roll into it. <laughs> yeah, we've done talked it over and hadn't, hadn't recorded anything yet. I know how that goes <laughs> is, is the biggest portion, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to, uh, I kind of want to start this by, by saying, so I, for the listeners here, I came across the video that, uh, Shane had posted on YouTube under his YouTube page, November warrior outdoors. And he, and it was just how he was breaking down a map and happened to be, um, kind of going through a thermal hub and kind of explaining some different stuff there. And, and I was just watching it. I was like, man, I really like, you know, his strategic approach to it. And, but I could, I recognized the voice and I was like, why, why do I know this guy? And I started doing some research and I was like, Oh, I've heard him before on the Southern Outdoorsman uh, podcast in the past. And, 
And uh, then I I started uh, following you along there on Instagram and everything and going through your posts. I was just like, I was going down a whole rabbit hole of just like looking at it and thinking about what you were saying. And, and I was like, yeah, I need to, I need to get him, hit him on the podcast there. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you picked your interest. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so before we get rolling here, Shane, do you want to give a, a little bit of a background where you're from, kind of who you are and how you kind of got into this uh, style of deer hunting, like types of areas you like to hunt? Well, um, I'm, 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 I'm probably in my close to 40th year of, uh, of deer hunting. Um, I, I had a, started out when I was real young, didn't really know what I was doing, of course, when you're young, but I had a really good set of mentors that really took me under the wing and my family didn't hunt much. I grew up in a family of trappers mainly. Uh, so I knew about the outdoors and they deer hunted and, and, and turkey hunted some, but not much, but I had a, a group of guys that were older than me that took me under their wing and kind of showed me everything to do and taught me all the ethical stuff about hunting. And, and so for years and years and years, I was just kind of a, uh, a local uh, hunter basically. And then, I guess I got into my late twenties and started branching out, uh, started doing competitive, uh, archery tournaments and kind of started going all over the country a little bit. So I've got a good, um, I guess a good base of, of hunting across the country all the way out to the West and the Midwest and stuff like that. So, um, but now mainly my area is North, uh, uh, Northeast Alabama and, uh, Northwest Georgia, uh, stay in those areas pretty much 80% of my time. Uh, do do a little bit of, um, uh, of hunting out in the mid Midwest, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Missouri, I actually bought some land in Illinois. So I'm looking to get into that area. So, but as far as like the, the thing that I guess I do the most is the trail camera stuff. Um, I've always just loved watching deer interacting with them, seeing how they act and stuff like that. So I, I was out of hunting when I had, a, um, actually lived in Birmingham for a, year, a few years and got out of hunting for about five or six years. And so when I got back into it and, and got kind of got my interest peaked back into it, I, I said, well, I'm going to start using the trail cameras as kind of a way to, to shorten that learning curve and learn a little more about what the deer were doing. Um, and then just happenstance, somehow I ended up getting connected with some guys that, that were doing a, a basically a I guess a, a video series and wanted some deer content for, um, they were actually, I think former students of Mississippi state and they basically approached me and said, Hey, we're wanting to get some, um, I guess video content based around scrapes and stuff like that. And I said, well, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll help you put them out, you know? And, uh, next thing I know, I've got a hundred video, hundred uh, trail cameras that I'm taking care of for, an entire a year basically and it just kind of morphed from there I, i'm running over well over 200 cameras right now and I, I just use that camera data and look at the the wind well all of the weather data i also run i forgot to mention this i also run um uh, weather stations uh throughout the entire area that i'm that i've got the cameras at at different locations so i can see variations in the weather wind how the wind might be played play a part in one area of my um kind of camera area and not in the other. And then I kind of break that down using topographical maps and uh, razor leaf maps and stuff like that and kind of get an idea of of uh, how deer interact throughout the entire uh, area, you know, instead of just uh, kind of looking at it as a, as a micro area, I kind of look at it more as macro. Um, and that's that's basically what I do. And then I, I try to help everybody I can with the, the information that I've gathered. So, 
Yeah, no, I I appreciate the the information that you you're willing to share and put out there. And so, I, the interesting thing that I have there is the weather station thing. So, w- what does that entail? Like, what do you have to do to put a weather station at an area? Uh, well, I, I just got some mobile lacrosse. I think I got a couple of lacrosse. I can't think of the other ones, Osprey or something like that. I got a you know several weather stations, and I'll put them. I put some at lower elevations. Like we have an elevation change here. Our bottoms are usually around 700, 600 feet in elevation. And we can go all the way up to close to 2,000. So I try to I try to range the weather cameras at different elevations. And basically, I'm just mounting them to a tree. Um, some of them are in open areas along fields and stuff like that. But I'm just trying to get an idea. And I try to connect them uh, with pods. Like I do it kind of like a pod system. So I'll put the weather station in an area where I have a pod of cameras and I put the other ones and kind of just move them around the, the terrain that way. And I rotate them around like I don't keep them in the same place all the time. So that gives me a good idea. And I'm hoping I can get five or six years worth of data um, off of them to kind of build a better um, weather profile for the area. Uh, and then you can apply that to other areas, basically. Um, but yeah, it's just mounting them to a tree and then they have an SD card in them and I'll, I usually won't read them instantly. Um, like when I go pull the, the, the camera cards, um, because nothing I have is cellular. Everything is, is, uh, card based. Um, I won't pull the, the weather data until the end of the year or maybe halfway through the, the season, I'll pull it and transfer it and then go through it. But most of the time I'm reading all that the year after, and then trying to build a profile using the camera data of that, of that particular pod to, to get an idea of how the weather affected what I saw on camera. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense because, you know, for, for me, when I, when I go through all my trail camera data in like January and February and I'm going through it and I have all my SD cards on there and I have this Google sheets built out of specific bucks and, you know, I put all the weather data in there, but I'm pulling from a weather station that hopefully is somewhat close. Sometimes I can find those, those weather stations that, that come up on weather underground that are, you know, somewhat close or not the, the main ones, but a lot of times those don't have the historical data on there to go back to versus some of the major ones, but they might be 15 miles away from where I'm exactly at. So you, you're kind of, you know, you're, it's not a hundred percent accurate, obviously. Where where you with putting up the weather stations probably really helps that. Yeah, because our closest one here is Aniston, and um, there's about a ten to twelve degree difference in uh, in in especially when you get to the lower temps. There's usually a ten degree difference between where we are and where that is, and that's the one that I normally pull is the Aniston Regional. Um, um, well, the one I was going over was the Aniston Regional uh, Airport. Um, and, and it's, it's situated in a different area. Uh, it's in a valley. So the wind doesn't, doesn't correlate with what I saw here. It would be completely different when I would go pull up their data to say, oh, the winds, you know, out of the Northwest. Well, here it might be completely out of the Northeast, you know, so it, yeah. it was just, just couldn't correlate, you know, so I decided just to do it on my own, you know, cause there was nothing really close by in this area that that I could do off the weather on the ground. I tried that as well. And, and it just, it just never did work. I was like, well, I'm just going to do my own, you know, and that way I'll know for sure, you know, cause sometimes I can have anomalies on my own weather data. I can have one area that's upper in, up in elevation and it could have, 
you know, a northeast wind or a northwest wind. I can have one on the lower elevation that's in a, that's in a creek bottom. It could have an east wind or a southeast wind. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I got a better uh, mix of weather data basically to, to pull from. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know just a, on a micro level example is like where my house is situated kind of in this bottom, it's always eight or nine degrees cooler than if you drive five miles to, you know, a spot that's up on top of the hill a little bit. And it's just that's the, the way that it, that it is. And that, that would give you completely different data than if you were just looking at a weather station that was up on top, but you were hunting down in you know this type of area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it can, you know, it, it, it can affect the 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 temperature drop in the lower areas here does affect uh does affect the the deer travel to me um especially during the summer you know if i'm trying to do a summer inventory or something like that um of course it's 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 all, all got to do with with water and water access and stuff like that as well too but uh the temperature um changes especially affect uh, that early season that's mainly when i'm seeing the big differences in in uh in the travel uh when you get those weather changes you know especially the the wind the wind shifts and stuff like that so yeah and and um so with with those weather stations and if you have them say down in this valley where you're you're having um you know you have like thermals and everything that are kind of pulling in there will that pick up that kind of data and seeing you know when the thermals are pulling down through and everything yeah, I've got one that's in a in a thermal hut. It, I, I played, I had to play around with it. I had to finally found one that had a thermal. Uh, it was in a thermal hub, but it was kind of a larger thermal hub, uh, larger creek. So the creek pulled more. It pulled a, a, a broader area of wind. I didn't want to put the 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 um, the uh, weather station directly on the water because I didn't want it affected that much. So I put it in in close proximity just to get that idea, and it does it does show that thermal, uh, shift, uh, and the time, you know, timing and timing of it was basically what I wanted to see is when is that thermal shift, uh, happening in this thermal hub and kind of correlate that to others and just kind of, kind of get an idea of what, when the thermal shift is, what, what, um, what it looks like, uh, weather wise, and then go anecdotally and check it myself in other thermal hubs and see if it was the same basically. So I take a little handheld, uh, weather, uh, unit out. And when I go hunting, uh, I would, I would, if I went hunting in a, in a thermal hub, I'd take that little thing with me and I'd mount it on the tree on like a bracket, uh, on like a shooting bracket or something. And then I would see what that read and I'd write it down or I'd keep it on my notes on my phone. And I would go back and check that, that, um, weather data, the the weather station on that big thermal hub along the Creek and see if it correlated. And, and, you know, and if it did, that would tell me, well, I'm on the right path, you know, and, and pretty much it, you know, whatever lined up there, it lined up what I read. And I said, well, that's, that's enough data for me to to figure out that it's pretty much, they're all going to be working pretty similar if they're in the similar shape. That's the, that's the big difference. If they're oriented in a similar direction, like East to West or North to South, uh, as far as the drainage coming out, uh, the opening, if it's to the east or to the west, you're pretty much going to get the same, uh, the same type of reaction, no matter what, in each each uh, thermal hub. Uh, it's just going to be the, the the size dictates how much you're going to see, how much difference. Okay, and and so when you're st- talking about the the shape, I mean, you talked about the direction of it, but what about the shape exactly? Because, you know, I think that. Um, 
you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, the topic at Thermal Hubs has been something that's very popular in the last couple of years and has brought up a lot, but thermal hubs for me at least aren't, they don't always have to be this perfect, you know, three ridges dumping down, you know, like a little bottom spot. There's such so many variations and small, you know, thermal hubs or bigger ones and some that are a little tighter, some are a little wider. So kind of explain what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the ones that I see that are, I mean, you've got like five or six different ones, basically. You've got some thermal hubs that have a that that are basically like a small creek bottom. So they're wider at the bottom. They're over. They're more expansive. You can have a very large uh, thermal hub that's that's like a creek bottom itself. And when it turns, then you built a, if it turns at a ninety degree angle, uh, you've built a thermal hub from that from that turn back upstream. Uh, if it turns and there's a ridge that comes down in front of the the, the, the creek itself, so it's turning into a creek channel, uh, it'll it'll stop that wind flow at that point. And everything upstream of that, it turns into a thermal hub. And you'll see those areas um, being used just like the smaller thermal hubs. So you've got those that are creek bottom based, and you've got the kind that are just like larger. They look like a hand, like you put your hand down on the, the table, and they look like the fingers going out. And they have a flat bottom, uh, and it may be a wider flat bottom, maybe up to, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards wide at times here, what I see. Uh, and those are used a certain way. And then you have them that are kind of more compact from that, and they're U-shaped. That's what I call a U-shaped one. And uh, it's just like you take the big, the big hand and you just shrunk it down into a smaller dimension. And then you have the V-shaped. Uh, which are the ones where the sides come down, just like I say, into a V. And those may not have water in them running all the time. Uh, neither will the U-shaped one sometimes, but if the U-shaped one has a ditch or something like that, that's a focal point for it, um, th those are going to be ones you're going to key on. Anywhere you can get a ditch, it's going to pull that uh, extra amount of thermal um, down into them. So if you can get a, the lowest point, uh, so if you've got a U-shaped thermal, it's got a ditch or something like that, and you really want to pay more attention to that. And the V-shaped ones are the same way. They flow a little bit differently because they are kind of more compact. You'll get a, uh, what I've seen, you'll get more of a, um, a quicker movement of the thermal. So the thermal is just like, um, is just like anything else. It's just like water. you got to think of that thermal as water. So the first portion is going to start moving uh, downward is going to be your higher elevation. So the, like if you have a, a U-shaped thermal with several V-shaped thermals uh, parting off of it, those V-shaped thermals are going to be the first ones that start dropping. Uh, now, if they're facing south or west, that changes because you're going to get the sunlight in the evening that's casting in those higher elevations, and you're going to get a reverse of that. Uh, so you're going to see the, the lower elevations start creeping up first, and then working into it. So that's where I'm saying your orientation of your thermals plays a big portion of what you're going to see as far as when those deer move into those areas and when that thermal shift happens. Uh, so if you got an east-facing or a north-facing uh, thermal hub or uh, basically a, a multi-faceted um, thermal hub where you got a U-shaped with several V-shaped thermal hubs attached to it, it's facing east or north, the upper elevations are going to start, uh, the thermals are going to start dropping before the lower elevations will.
and then it'll trickle down. But if it's uh, if it's south or west facing toward the sun, it's going to be reversed. You're going to see the lower elevation start uh, dropping first and then working their way up into the higher elevation. And that affects how the deer move. Okay. Um, so, all right. So when you're talking about like the, the places that are like the west facing and stuff, and, and you're talking how that's going to drop first and affect the way that the deer move, how does that affect how the deer are moving in those particular areas? Well, like um, if you've got a west facing, you know, sun setting in the west, of course, all this changes. I'm talking about when you're having, uh, say, 25 or greater percent of sunlight. So that you've got a pretty much partly sunny to to mostly sunny day. If you get cloudy day, then everything changes and the, and the thermals can, can really go kind of wonky. But if all things considered, you've got a partly cloudy to mostly sunny day. Um, if you've got a west-facing thermal, like the, the what I'm, when I say west-facing, I mean the opening of the hub is facing toward the west and everything else is flowing east or northeast or southeast. Um, the first portion that's going to start dropping the thermals is going to be the closest to the opening of the hub where the dump out point of all that is. And so what happens is in those areas, that's where the deer are going to like a mature buck. This, this doesn't, this, I'm only applying this to mostly mature bucks because I think they're the only ones that really, I think the other deer use thermals, but I think they really don't know enough about them or don't, it's, it doesn't play a big a part in their, their travel the way a buck is a mature buck has learned his craft. Uh, so this is applying only to just mature bucks. They seek out those places first. So where the thermals drop first. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. That's going to be their first um area so it's just like that 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 video that i done that buck knew to get into that thermal hub at a certain time uh he had you know he, it wasn't like on a clock or anything like that but instinctually and 
through, I guess, the knowledge that he had built up over the years of, of using these things, he knew to get into that thermal hub at that time because he didn't, he never moved into that thermal hub any other time. It was only when that, when that thermal switch was about to hit that he moved into it. So those wider thermal hubs like that, if they're facing west that drop, the lower end drops first, they're going to be in that lower elevation. That's where I think a lot of people get picked off. I know I did when I was younger because those things just looked, you know, it's like, oh, there's so much sign down there, you know, yeah. like I just gotta dive right into it, you know. And the thing is, the buck was already there. He's just waiting for that thermal shift. So he's somewhere within relation to that thermal hub, knowing that, hey, at this particular time, this thermal hub is going to start working in my favor. I'm going to be able to scent check everything that's up, uh, up wind or up, you know, up in elevation above this thermal hub. I'm going to be able to check it from this location. I got to get down there. You know, if he, if he's, you know, if that's in his, his route of travel for that day. Uh, so that's basically how they use it. I think they're already kind of getting into the thermal hub where they can see it, scent check it, things like that. And once that shift hits, that's when they start their movement. That's why a lot of these GPS studies show, especially in the early season, that a, that a mature buck will only move like 150, 200 yards during daylight. So... Uh, kind of what I, the, the hypothesis that I've come up with is that 150 to 200 yards of movement. If you look at the uh, GPS data, they're usually higher elevation and usually they're dropping down to somewhere else, like a, a, a secondary bed. In a lot of those GPS studies, you can't really see the topographical features. But when I'm doing my camera work, that's what I've kind of um, keyed in on is that, that movement and trying to predict that. And that's, that's what I'm seeing play out is they're up in that higher elevation and right before that thermal drop, they'll move out of that, that midday bed into a bed that's more, um, I guess, uh, closely related as far as, uh, travel distance, uh, to that thermal hub where they can quickly get into that thermal hub and then go back up into the ridges. If that makes okay. sense. So they're, so basically they're, they're betting kind of above that a ways. They may not be able to, to necessarily see the hub at the beginning, but as right before that, that thermal shift tends to happen, they're using that upward thermals to kind of move down into position where they can get a visual even on the, like say scrape or the bottom of that hub. And then as it shifts, they can smell everything above them. And then they might make a little bit of a, you know, movement, you know, just before dark there and then kind of go into position. Yeah, yeah, they really give you that, that, we always say they give you that short window of time. Well, that, if, if you're trying to hunt a thermal hub, that's your short window. You know, the, and that's really the only, the only window you have. If you don't uh, take advantage of that, that window in that thermal hub, that's really the only window you have. Uh, because that buck at that point in time is traveling with the thermals itself. He's trying to get to a point below um the area that he may be bedded or staged in sometimes they just kind of stage and hang out in those upper thermal hubs and they'll wait and move down i've seen that as well uh but you got to play that into effect that he's at a disadvantage traveling down with the thermal current to a point that he believes i can get everything that's above me that has now shifted that thermal has dropped enough that I can get to that position to get as much information because that's all he's wanting to do is get information. It's just like us. Yeah. Get every bit of information from the, from the largest amount of terrain that he can gather without having to do the least amount of work to do it. 
Yeah, and, and and you know, it makes me think like going back to November fourth last year when I'd killed my buck that was in a somewhat of a thermal hub of a scrape there's a scrape that's been there for fifteen years and it's been there actually there was a big hemlock tree where the, the scrape was under and uh it, that had been struck by lightning and broke off. So they moved to the next tree, but it was all in this, this spot. And what I've learned from hunting this area for so many years that a lot of times these bucks right before dark, they'll be just down from the scrape, probably about 50, 60 yards or so, and either come across the creek or they'll be coming from the bottom and kind of heading up, but just skirt the bottom of that scrape and don't necessarily always go to it. And, I got to wonder if this deer, because so I'd called him and he came, came up and it was just before dark came up from, from below me there and, uh, or below the scrape and worked up towards that direction. He ended up coming out of the opening by the scrape, but I think it was more due to the calling. So I'm not sure if he was, you know, either staged there or like staged somewhere up above and heard the calling and came down or happened to be moving at that point. It was just in location and came up through, but you know, during the rut, things can be a little bit you know, different and some of the rules get thrown out, it seems like, but it just makes me think of, think of it a little bit differently. And I, I I really urge everybody to go watch uh, your YouTube video that you did on that because it explains it well and shows it on the map where like, okay, here's where the scrape is. This is where your one camera was. And then you had the one on the downside of that. And I I can't remember that was a, that was an East facing hub, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah. Yeah, the, gotcha. east, the east and the east and the west facing uh, ones are they're ones that I really I, I really key in on uh, more than anything. They seem to produce the the most amount of movement because that that thermal shift seems to be way more consistent with those two. Uh, whereas the south facing and the north facing uh, can can kind of vary a little bit. Uh, so, but but yeah, you're basically what I'm saying is you need to find that fallout point. Um, that gives you, if you're trying to hunt a thermal hub, you're trying to find that fallout point where that buck is, is using that, uh, lower, uh, lower end of the, the, the thermal hub itself to hunt on. Because if you're pushing up into the thermal hub, which is a draw of a lot of people, they see the scrape right in the middle of the thermal hub or all those rubs or whatever the buck is laying down sign wise, they're seeing all that. And, and that's drawing you in. That's visually, I got to get to that point. I got to be able to shoot that scrape. Well, the thing that I figured out on this buck is, I mean, he, it was a, you know, a very well-used scrape that had been there for decades. And I had run trail cameras on this thing for five or six years. And the only, I only got him in daylight a couple of times. I'm like, well, I can't hunt that. That's not, you know, I can't, if he's only coming there one time, you know, it's not enough, enough information that I can hunt off of if he's only coming there one time during daylight, you know, but yeah. it's coming bunched at night you know but i can't go off of one day I, and, and but the thing is the what i what i knew in the back of my mind i'm like there's a lot of there's a lot of movement within this thermal hub he's got to be using this thermal hub a different way like it can't just be just the scrape you know because he's only coming to it one time so that's when i started just kind of working away from the scrape itself and i started getting him in different areas during daylight and then i just I just kind of worked off of that and I realized, well, this is what he's doing. You can kind of follow the rub lines and stuff like that with him. That's the, that's the biggest thing. If you want to follow if especially in that pre-rut time, 
if you follow kind of the um, the rub lines and stuff like that within those thermal hubs, you can usually break down what the deer is is, is doing, you know. And that was what I kind of keyed off of. I started in the higher elevations and said, well, I'm just going to work my way down following his rub lines and, and drop a camera here and kind of move the cameras around. And eventually it kind of just all fell into, into, into position. So I'm hoping this year that he kind of follows that same. He'll be a six and a half year old, I think, this year. So I'm hoping he follows that same that same kind of pattern and doesn't deviate. Hopefully it, uh, me or one of my buddies can get a, get a chance at him. So, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's, you're making me think as I'm talking here, because like this spot that, that I gave the story about with where, where I was hunting, I've always deemed that as a rut spot as far as like, okay, these bucks just kind of randomly travel through this hub and they go up into these different valleys and these different ridge systems. And maybe that, because what, from sitting there for so many times over the years, there's probably 90% of the bucks that I see aren't going towards that scrape, you know, or they're not right there. Now I've, I've shot one directly in the scrape and that, you know, obviously can always be a situation, but a lot of times they are on that, that downside of it, like probably, like you said, 40, 50, even 60 yards where there's like this little, little thick patch of trees and the, the scrapes and kind of a little bit of an opening there probably make a whole lot of sense to move a camera down there too and just see if you know what what else is is being able to to be getting and you know and and not just there but on on some of the other areas that are leading down to it because like whenever i find what would be considered a a thermal hub is like i always kind of start in the bottom and do a little just the opposite but walk up the trails and i just like kind of see where they go and then and then figure out like then you'll find that topography line above that it seems like there's some good trails and rub lines that run it and you start to find that that line that they like to to be at and typically i'll find beds along that line as well when you start finding some of those good horizontal trails yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. The one thing that that kind of because um, that's the way that's the way I, I this is this. I mean, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do anything or anything like that. But one of the things one of the things that I've always caught myself doing is walking through the woods with a destination in mind, like I want to get here, you know. And so I'd walk through the woods, and I would I would be on a deer trail or be off the deer trail or something, and I'm not looking behind where I just came from. And this is what kind of taught me on that is um, a lot of times we can walk and think, okay, this is where the deer is traveling. And this, this is the direction he's going. And you're walking this trail or you're, you're doing your scouting and you're maybe, maybe you're by yourself. You don't have another set of eyes and you're trying to make a plan for this area, for an area you're hunting and you walk through it and you walk the deer trail, but you never look behind you. And you think the deer is going the way you're going because that's what we think. The deer is going the way we're going when it's not the case, you know, so I reversed it in this case. And I said, well, I'm going to like, just like you, I said, I'm going to come from the top to see if I'm missing something. And that's when I noticed well, the rub line is not working the way I thought it was, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and so just by changing that, uh, that dimension that I'm looking at it from the direction I'm looking, was normally looking at it from, it changed my whole thinking about how they were being used, you know, cause we think, the the therm I always thought thermals are coming down, buck is going up with them. When actually, you know, he's not going against the thermal, he's actually coming with the thermal. He's using the thermal drop to come down. He's at disadvantage right there, but that 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 that's something they've learned. They trust their vision 
at that point in time. He's in an area that he knows I've got swirling winds. I can kind of, maybe I can kind of let my guard down. There's nothing going to get in here that I can't smell. So I yeah, can, you know. no, and that that makes a lot of sense and too. And when you're coming down, like if you, I'm just I have like pictures in my mind of like when you're coming down off a hill, you have a you have a definitely a different visual than when you're walking up too. Yeah, as you're going up because you you kind of have the hill right in your face and you're not right. seeing as much as the panoramic of if I'm a buck walking down this hill, being able to look out and see like, okay, you know, here's, here's an area where I might have a little bit of a disadvantage of, of seeing. So maybe I'm going to take this direction and you start seeing that little faint trail that goes off and you can, and you start getting in the buck's mind, or at least you think you are as far as, uh, how, how they're moving through it. How they're moving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's kind of what I, 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 I kind of what broke this, the way I broke that one down was kind of exactly the way I think he's doing it and hit the trail camera data kind of says it because once I started putting them in the right locations, you know, and really honing in, then it, then the, the profile of him built up to where, yes, he's dropping into this thermal hub this away uh, pretty much twice a week. So when you start getting that much data, that's something that you can hunt off of, you know, like you can, you can realistically say, I can build a plan to hunt this buck using this much information. Cause I know what he's, you know, I've kind of got a plan profile of what this buck's doing. Well, if he's doing it in this thermal hub, this way, why would he go to another thermal hub and act completely different? Yeah. You know, so it, it doesn't make sense. He's going to do the same thing. So when you get these thermal hubs that are kind of interconnected, and you start building a pattern of, okay, he likes these that are east facing. He'll go search that out, you know, because it's going to react, react the same way. And that's kind of how you build out, well, the, his home range, maybe a, a square mile, but he's only probably using, you know, a third of it. And a third of it is going to be these thermal hubs that he's most comfortable with and the orientation he's most, most comfortable with. So then you build a, a plan for, okay, he's using this thermal hub this way, and I'm not seeing him in this one because it's oriented differently. This one over here is oriented the same way, and he's using it. So how's he getting there? Yeah. And yeah. and when, and then like, like you know, with, with the other ones that he may, that might not be using, that might be something that feels comfortable to another buck, and then they might seek out the same type of thing. I, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you see the interlapping, the overlapping of all, like the area I've got in, but I hunt in here, we have about six or seven mature bucks. And you'd think, well, gosh, there how, how do six and seven mature bucks interact over a you know a, a two square mile area? Well their 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 home ranges overlap, but each one of them are different. You know, but but if you try to if you, if you tried to figure out all of them at the same time, it'd be a whirlwind in your head. You couldn't do it. But if you could pick out one or two and kind of figure out, well, okay, this is what they're doing then you can work off of that. And once you got them, you work out to the other ones, you know, and that's kind of the way that I've been doing it. And I feel like that's the way that, that can be replicated. If, if, you know, if you figure out, well, Hey, this buck is using, if you're, if you just come into a new area and you're a public land hunter, or you got uh, private land or anything like that, and you wanted to, um, uh, I guess kind of dissect a buck. If you can figure out what he's doing in one area, that's probably going to be re replicable for him in different areas. So yeah. trying to figure out his whole territory, you're trying to figure out one thing that he's doing and then replicate it for another area. With yeah. No, that, that makes sense. What do you, what do you see? Do you see any trends as far as like how they are dropping into that hub? As far as like, are they coming down, you know, like say 
a little bit of a, a draw where they're coming down? Or are they going on more of like where it's rounded, almost like a, a small like little ridge that's coming down so they can see all around them? Do you find any trends with some of those trails is how they drop down into it? Uh, I feel like like most of the most of the ones that I see, uh, the U-shaped hubs like he's using will usually have you know two or three other little drainages that are coming off of them, of course. And some of those will split, and they seem to favor the ones that are not just like a drainage; it just runs up and heads off. They would prefer to come in on the ones that are multifaceted. What I what I mean is when that smaller drainage goes off, it splits into another smaller drainage. And it yeah. may be shaped drainage where it's much more steeper. Anywhere that there is more steeper terrain, that seems to be, they want to, of course, they want the steepest terrain possible because that gives them the best advantage of, of being protected. You know, they just love the steep terrain. So if you have the thermal hubs that has like maybe one drainage is not so much steep, it's it's more shallow, it's, it's not as rocky, they're going to pick the roughest one with the closest cover. So I don't really see as far as the terrain, it's more of just the steeper terrain, basically, and then the cover really close by. And and really, wind doesn't really affect them because once you get in those thermal hubs, if you're in there, when they're entering them, uh, they've got the swirling wind. So wind is not really a, 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 it doesn't matter if it's coming out of the west or the south or the east, because it's probably going to be going in multiple directions once it's in that thermal hub. They're getting all the information out of it at that point in time. So it's the ridge tops and the and the higher ridge points that are maybe affected by wind direction that they're that maybe they bet on them in a certain uh, wind. But as far as the thermal hubs, they'll basically approach them under any wind condition. It's what that basically what I see, you know. Yeah, and 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 that makes sense. Like where uh, where I was hunting down in West Virginia, and I was hunting some of this old coal mine property, and it was really steep. And there's some strip where they had these valley fills that kind of came down through the valleys, and there's these rock drainages that go up through it. And I remember, and so it's it's somewhat open. So I was sitting behind binoculars watching. So it's basically take all the woods away, and you can see what they're how they're moving. And the way that this there's this really big nine point that I uh, still have dreams about that i had 18 yards and couldn't get a shot but he anyways he had he would work these these bench systems and then to change elevation he would go down these rock drainages and if you've ever walked in those rock drainages they're super thick with these autumnal bushes and they're so rocky that they're tough to walk up as a human through it it's like man how are they doing that but rather than going up just at random kind of through or some of the trails that the does were using these bucks would would use these rock drainages to move in and out of the the different elevations yeah and that, they did that's that's basically what i'm seeing here if you've got those steeper v-shaped rocky if it's a rocky bottom they're going to be in that because a lot of those will get clogged up with uh, down here's mountain laurel you'll just get tons of mountain laurel or just you know it's just nasty or they'll even be deep enough that if you're sitting down in them a lot of them will be a ditch actually you know they'll be mm -hmm. wasted if a buck is down in that rocky drainage, he's basically got cover without having to have cover nothing can see him he's he's not silhouetted you'll see the does they'll use those those secondary ridge points and they'll just drive dive right off the edge of them because they just don't care you know they're they're not yeah they're not they don't have the same mindset you know whereas he's he's trying to not be silhouetted that that's i think that's one of the key things that a lot of people uh that are hunting the bigger bucks is think i think not being silhouetted as far as what i see because when, when you look at it and you break it down 
um, that, that's that's one thing that really stands out the most is what what advantage does he have in these drainages? Well, he's not standing on a ridge top where he's silhouetted, especially once the leaves drop off. And and, and knowing how deer's vision is, um, when you put that into into account, uh, and a buck is going to be, of course, a mature buck is going to be way more on top of his senses than any of the other deer. Uh, then that, that rocky drainage, anywhere he cannot be silhouetted and be under some sort of cover, uh, that's going that's definitely going to be his, his, his preferred mode of travel. So I, I see the same things here. It, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoy RX eight, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other it provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And 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 like those autumn olive bushes are they act the same as, you know, taller mountain laurel or rhododendron where they give that kind of like umbrella approach over top of it and they can tunnel underneath it. Paul Peter and I we were talking about that quite a bit when him and I were texting back and forth about like these tunnels and he was sending me pictures of the trails that he was seeing that kind of go through some of those drainages like that and very similar, very similar type approach. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in the country, whether you're in Alabama, you're in Pennsylvania, Ohio, whatever. A lot of these, these trends are the same. It just might be a different type of bush or tree, but they have the same type of features that makes that buck feel, feel safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you, when you look at it, like, uh, when you're scouting, if you're trying to scout an, an area and you see that he's using this particular area, like, okay, it's, it's, it's a rocky drainage. just got a bunch of, you know, uh, mountain laurel or, or rhododendron or whatever you've got in that area. Uh, what I try to do, and that this is what I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking at a whole different piece of property now and I'm kind of utilizing, I'm going to see if what, what I think here is going to work there, but, is to pick out those pockets. So if you can pick out those pockets, okay, this, this area has this, but there's not a, there's not, say there's 150 yards between, uh, the area that, that has the, the rocky drainages with the, with the V shaped, um, um, you know, V shaped, it's got the rhododendron, got the, the Mount Laurel cover, all the cover that he's desiring in this area. 
and then you go 150 yards and there's not any, but there's another patch over here. Well, how's he getting that thing? You know, and there's sign there from him. Well, how's he getting there? And that's your, that's, that's the part you're trying to, to figure out is how is he getting from this area to that area? Cause that's what they're using is just these little pockets of cover to kind of move around on. And that's, that's like putting the puzzle together right there when you could do that. And that's kind of what Paul does a lot is puts that piece of the puzzle together to figure out how is he traversing this 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 area, his home range, using these little pockets of cover. Um, and that, that I see the same thing uh, here. Basically, it's just using those little pockets of cover. And I actually have I killed, the largest buck I've killed uh, in this area here, I killed in 2020, and that, he did the same thing. It was, it, was a, it was like the biggest jigsaw puzzle, putting this deer's travel together. Uh, because he, they just, he just didn't, he, you know, he, he was just a, a master at his craft of traveling through the, uh, through the woods during the daylight. He was still traveling through the woods during the daylight, but, uh, man, putting his, putting his thing together was, was really, really hard. And, and it was because he was using something I wasn't used to, to trying to hunt over, which was those rocky, just the roughest, nastiest stuff that you would think a deer would never use. That's what they're using, you know? Yeah, so uh, the the path of least resistance isn't always uh, a good rule of thumb with some of these big deer. No, not for these big deer. It it, it is it's usually just just the opposite, you know. So it it you you almost got to put it into a different a different mindset. Now, uh, saying that they are going to use the path of least resistance when they can. Yeah, but but usually that's not beneficial to them, you know. So that that's yeah, why. and and at that point, you know, when they're when they're doing when they're dropping down with not really you know when the thermals are coming at their back and they're kind of coming through they're having a different mindset than if they have the wind advantage you yeah. know as far as all the time so it's like they're they're going to move a little bit differently depending on how that is and you know I talked to to Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge about this a lot that looks at a lot of GPS data and he's like he's like, yeah, he's like the mature bucks are just a completely different animal. He's like just the way that the way that they move. And it's, it's, it's difficult when you look at the GPS data, like you kind of alluded to earlier is, you know, they only show up these points every so often. So to get, to see how they get to from here to here, which doesn't look like it's that far, they might do something completely different. They're not just like lining it. Yeah. It's not a straight line. You know, when you look at it, you think, well, he got from here to here, well, when you put it on a map, well, that that doesn't make sense, you know. Like, I know he yeah. didn't just, I know he just didn't take a straight path there. So, you know, that that's that's kind of what what you've got to think when you look at those things a lot of times. And and, and that may have taken him thirty, you know, what I think those ping every thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, a buck can travel a long distance in thirty minutes. You know, it, it, when when they're when they're you know if that if that's in if that's part of their travel route, they can they can move a you know he can move in a wide a looping circle. And, and you don't know it, you know, so that, that's kind of what, uh, what you got to take into account when you watch those GPS studies is just how they got there is not exactly that linear line. Yeah, no, cause I've, I've studied the, the, I don't know if you've, you probably looked at the Penn state deer studies. And, um, so I've, I mean, I've studied those like the back of my hand as far as seeing how these bucks are doing that. And it's like, uh, there's a lot of really, really good information from those, but at the same time, it's like now it's like the different pieces of the puzzle, how they got to here or why they were doing this at this times and kind of moving along. It's really interesting. Yeah. If you could take those and really apply them to, you know, just those movement 
periods, daylight movement periods for those. That's kind of what I did. I took like three or four different daylight movement periods and we figured out the GPS coordinates of where they were. And I looked at the top topographical map of that and I said, well, hmm, you know, and, and that was that was something that kind of played into a fact, fact of what I started doing with these thermal hubs is that's, that tended to be a, a, a pattern that I saw with them as they were higher in elevation on some of these. And, it, and you know, in that Pennsylvania t uh, terrain and some of the terrain that they did in upstate South Carolina, I think, was another one that I kind of pulled data from. And it, it, it kind of laid out kind of similar to the area that I hunting. Uh, you know, some of it was a little bit steeper or higher elevation, but it all had the same general look. You know, it was it wasn't. Yeah. Different. So when I started looking at it, I said, well, let's drop them down into those thermal hubs, you know, in that last like 40 minutes of, of daylight. That was their movement during daytime, you know. So, and that, that, that now once you get to rut, you know, everything goes, you know, they, they still, you know, use the thermal hubs, but they're using them in a way different, uh, you know. I, this is mainly just focusing on early season in that time period where you're trying to get them in that short window that they have to, to move. So, yeah, and 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 also like when you come to the the rut, I always think of it. It's like if you gave those bucks a couple beers, like they're still a little bit cautious, but they're they're like throwing a yeah. little bit more caution to the wind and have a different agenda. <laughs> they dialed it back just a little bit. Now it's like okay, I don't have to have it just perfectly. I've got to you know, I've got to do what I got to do. You know, and and yeah. they, they just dial back that that elusiveness just a little bit. You know. Yeah, no that that makes sense, and I'm like. The, the more, I guess, the more uh, availability that I have to hunt some different times of the year now and, and do that, I was like, I, I want to be more efficient in the outside of the rut because that's always been the time when I used to take off work and go and like I've always focused around the rut. So it's like now trying to shift and, you know, go to West Virginia in early October and be able to figure it out and get it done. And, and these different times of when to be able to capitalize, it's like, all right, what what other things can you can you look at there? That makes yeah. makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense. Because yeah. you got you know if you're if you're because when you when like I said looking at those GPS studies, you say, man, how am I ever going to kill this big buck? You know because they're just moving so there's such a small window. You know when you look at it, but you, you got to you if you're not in, that's that's where it plays. If you're not in the right place at the right time for that time that period, like during the rut, you can be anywhere. You can't be anywhere, but you can be somewhere that that does are if you find the does during the rut you, you got a pretty good chance you know whereas early season you've really got to maximize that terrain um uh, the habitat all of that has to play in, into effect uh because because you you just have such a small window you know it's just things haven't cranked up yet enough to where you have that all day movement at all so you've really got to maximize your opportunities at that point in time you know yeah. And so how, um, you know, with that being said, are you, it sounds like you're trying to get into those places in that 40 minute window. So you're trying to, to set up in those types of places. Are you typically, all right. So with the example that, that you gave in that, that video and with a, the buck coming down to that, that hub, how are you going to try to set up to, to kill that deer? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of this came from uh, like like I said, talking to Paul Patera a lot. Uh, he kind of had the same same mindset that I did. That we, I, I think that's why we kind of got got connected a lot. Is is he does a lot of this too, and this is something that I, I've noticed I've done, but I really wasn't thinking about it. Is he he's coming up from the bottom? That's that's the main thing is to come up. Uh, 
not getting not rushing to the into the the thermal hub and and ruin your hunt before you get there so this would be one where you would want to maybe uh play a, a long game and, and not rush up in there and you'd want to wait until that last few minutes uh maybe the last hour and a half you probably wouldn't want to push up into the into the hub itself stay on that that fallout point and get to the point where you uh, believe you're within sh within range, bow range of uh, where that deer is going to cross, and you'd want to set up downwind, down thermal. Basically, you're not you're not worrying about the wind at all at this point in time. You're just yeah. worrying that thermal. You're wanting to get uh, below that thermal where he can't, where that thermal has um, is is in your favor and dumping out below you, knowing that the buck is above you in the thermal hub. And you really have to, you know, it's one of those times where you just got to get close enough to get that shot to where he's going to cross and not get in there early enough that your scent's going to get pulled up into that thermal hub and he's going to smell you. So you've got to almost wait or predict when that thermal shift is happening. And that's when you make your move into that thermal hub, you know, and just quickly up a tree. Maybe you want to one stick up a tree and just get high enough to get off the ground and just get yeah. within shooting range of where he's going to cross at that point in time. Because if you push up in there too quick, your thermals are going to be pulling up into his in his area and, and swirling into those winds and you're going to be busted. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people that try to hunt these thermal hubs as they're trying to hunt them. And that's me. I did the same thing. Yeah. Get no, to the you know, and, and it was just always just frustrating. It's like, I know this is a good spot. What am I doing wrong? You know? And so. Yeah. No, I, I, I was just going to say like that they, uh, I, I think that's such a good point because I know even, you know, I, one thing I've always made a mistake is I feel like I'm wasting time if I'm not hunting there. Say you have the whole day to be able to hunt. It's like, okay. Or maybe your time's better spent scouting and checking cameras in another spot and then move in or set up, you know, off of, a, um, you know, another spot that, okay, and now I can move over. This is my best chance to get in at that point. And it's so hard to, to, it's a lot of discipline to, to be able to do that. And that's, I'm, I mean, I'm saying this as I'm working on it. Like I, I don't have this figured out and, uh, to, to be able to, to move in and, and take advantage of that. And I feel like that's why I've always like, cause I've, I've, a lot of people always ask me, how do you, how do you hunt like these bottoms? How do you hunt some of these spots sometimes? And like, for me, my, my always go-to has been, I just set up right on the stream. Like, so that the, the, you know, the thermals are pulling down with the water and everything. But the, where I come to a, a problem with that is it's not always, that's more of a, a lot of times a rut based thing. Now I did kill uh, my biggest Pennsylvania deer opening day on doing a setup like that where they were coming down. But a lot of times that doesn't work. So it's like, okay, how can you find these other situations where you can get to it? And from the, from the sounds of it, like where you're, where you're talking about there, you wouldn't necessarily be right in the bottom or the mouth of that hub. You might be up just a little bit, but still where yeah. the thermals are pulling down yeah yeah i mean like that that particular setup right there uh it had a look where the buck was basically betting at there's a little rise to his left that's on the down down thermal side the, the down the the lower end of the the thermal hub there was kind of a little rise there and so if you got just on the other side of that rising up a little bit you can mm -hmm. shoot down to that uh, point where he came out of his bed and crossed you'd have you know maybe 30 35 yards but he couldn't see you you know and that's generally in most thermal hubs or most hubs drainages like that, you're going to have a point like that. So you've got to do a lot of, there's a lot of scouting up to that point that you've got to do, 
you know, like yeah. that's a good time to go in there. Uh, I think thermal hubs, if you're going to scout them, a good time to scout them is in that mid-morning time because there's probably not a buck using it. He's higher up in elevation at that point in time. So if you're in early season, you want to scout one, go in that 9 o'clock to like 12 o'clock range, that three hours, scout it out because he's more than likely not going to be in that thermal hub at that point in time. Yeah. So that's another thing. If you're scouting them, that mid-morning time is the time to go into those thermal hubs because you're not probably going to bust him out of there by the end. He's not going to be in that bed. And that's what I, do, I try to do. And just pick that point. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're walking into one and you're, you're, you're not familiar with it, uh, don't rush up. You know, don't think, well, I got to get right to that point. So if you're brand new to it, you come into a thermal hub and you're in a new area and you're just putting boots on the ground, going out hunting in the afternoon, resist that urge to get there at one, two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon and push up into the middle of that thermal, you know, best thing to do is if you have to use it as a, as a, your afternoon, as a, as like you said, as a scouting trip, wait to get into those thermal hubs until that last little bit of, of, of before, before that thermal switch is basically you've got like an hour, hour and 15 minutes before most of the time it starts. So that's what I would, I would say, but yeah, definitely if you're going to scout them, that mid morning time is the ideal period to scout as well. You know, so that's what I'm trying to do is, is, I guess when I'm going to plan to hunt these thermal hubs, um, like you said, it's kind of a, you want to get in there. You want to, you don't want to waste your time or nothing like that. So I'm going to kind of use that to scout maybe along the creeks and stuff like that. And then wait, you know, that's, that's another thing that, that usually where these dump out into, you're looking at creek bottoms and stuff like that. Cause that's just how the terrain kind of flows. Um, and, and, Anywhere you can get somewhere where that creek, where you can stage yourself out near a creek where you're, you know, your thermals, your scent is being carried down with that creek. And then you, you, you rush up into that, um, into that thermal hub from that creek bottom and you know, your scent has not been dispersed throughout the entire area. So you're not going, you're not really going to be worried about blowing out does and stuff like that that could affect the, the buck himself either. So it's just, a, it's a waiting game basically. Yeah. And I like what you said too about, um, you know, maybe only needing to get like a stick high or so, like just, just up enough where you're able to see, because if you take the time to, I don't care how fast you are, but to go up, you know, four or five sticks and get up now you're, you know, you're getting up in the trees, taking a little longer. You have more chance of making noise, just kind of slip in, get up enough where you could see a little bit and be able to do it. So, you know, one or two sticks, you're probably, or a stick and an eater, you know, you can get up um, you can get up enough where you're able to, to see. And, and I saw that you'd recently kind of switched up to hunting from a saddle. You can get on the backside of that tree and have more cover versus, you know, being on the front side of it where you're kind of sticking out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I do a lot of, I hunt really low. I'm not a real, I'm not a, I don't get, you know, four or five sticks high. It seems like when I try doing that, I'm always getting busted, and, and especially in these kind of areas, because this is a this is kind of one of those things that you're you're wanting to stay just on top of the cover, the the the, the first layer of foliage, you know, on the ground. You're not wanting to get up to where he can see you in a situation like this, because um, it you know in this area, if you get you know four or five sticks high, you're going to be stuck hanging out on the side of a tree like a sore thumb, you know. So yeah, definitely in in, in this instance, hunting lower. Uh, learn to get comfortable hunting lower in areas like that because that's usually where your best cover is going to be and uh, it'll be way more beneficial than, than trying to get as high as you can and take that time make a bunch of noise make a you know him be able to see you or anything like that because a lot of times they are staging out in these thermal hubs 
they're not they're not waiting to drop down into them. A lot of times, like I said, they're already in there, uh, kind of waiting. You know, using that 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 thermal switch to move. So if you're down there trying to get four or five sticks high, you're probably going to be um, uh, blowing everything out of there before you you know you ever knew he was in there. So do you do you uh, do you find an application to be able to hunt these in the mornings at all? Yeah, yeah, you can, but you you know that's more of a rut. Uh, you're going to have to do it once the once the ruts. Yeah, the early early season probably not. Uh, but once you start getting into that early pre rut or that late pre rut in that rut period before the the, uh, the does are coming into estrus, uh, yeah, because it it tends to at that point in time you may have multiple bucks. Uh, dumping into that thermal hub and that changes the dynamic completely you know once you once you apply another buck into that area that's after a doe that's coming into estrus or she's you know getting ready to or, or, or visiting that scrape a lot more and you get a few other maybe subordinate bucks that are coming in that it changes the dynamic completely and then and it's basically just that you're you're flipping the script at that point in time um, but the thing is you, you can find these thermal hubs if you can hit the Holy Grail and find a thermal hub that's like uh, that's always moving down, uh, and you can do it, uh, those are the ones that you really want to key in on. If you can find a thermal hub that is always dropping, uh, so that and 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 they're they're out there. Uh, those are the ones that you're going to see used morning, afternoon, midday you know, anytime. And, and they're there. You just have to really see, uh, you know, you got to do a lot of boots on the ground, dropping milkweed. Uh, but yeah, it, as far as like hunting them in the morning, it's just a reverse. Uh, and that point in time, uh, I, I'm kind of doing a little more hunting off that swirling wind and moving maybe higher up in elevation, trying to get him before he's dropping into that, uh, into that midday bed. That, that's kind of my, my plan for that is to is to be at that position where he's higher up in elevation over the thermal hub and being there when he's making that switch from the early morning bed after he's bedded down in the morning to that midday bed switch. That makes sense. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.